Welcome to Miyagi Mornings Weekly Recap, a podcast version of our daily video series, Miyagi Mornings. Links to the video version of each segment can be found in the show notes for this episode. These recap episodes are part of the Survival Podcast feed, but are numbered independently as a special weekly edition of our show in all podcast feeds. How's revenge? Well, good morning, guys and gals. Welcome to Miyagi Mornings, episode 21, and uh, Blackjack episode, right? And uh, we are going to today talk about researching a cryptocurrency, because that's a question that's simply come up quite a bit over these you know, past 20 episodes. And, and the basic question comes in various formats, but it's, well, how do you, how do you Jack Spierko, personally... Research a cryptocurrency and decide a currency you want to hold or, or whatever. And there's there's really only two ways that you can research cryptocurrency. And I'm not really going to talk about one other than just to say what it is so you know it's a thing and you can decide if you want to learn more about it. And that's technical analysis. Technical analysis is, is for short-term trading, day trading type of thinking. And, and technical analysis really has nothing to do. I mean, absolutely nothing to do with where this project will be five years from now and what that means. It, it, it just ignores that, which is what I care about. And uh, so I do know some basic TA or technical analysis, and it is a valuable skill. And for people that are going to trade on frequency, it is probably the most important one to master. But it's again, it's not what I generally do. Uh, but there are certain patterns that you can see in the behavior of a market that say this particular, and this works in stocks, it works in commodities, it works in cryptocurrency, should be on a trend up, down, etc. This looks like a floor, as low as it'll go, that type of thing. When I re re uh, research cryptocurrency, the very first thing I want to know, why do we need or want this new thing? Why? Does it do something that nothing else does, or does it do something that other things do better or in a way that makes it have more utility? And if the answer is, well, it really ain't anything new except it's got different marketing and paint on it, I'm not real interested. Now, there are some other components to this, because my next question is, who is the team behind it and what are they doing? What are they doing? In other words, what... What are they doing with the technology? Because you can have two people that basically have the same technology with two different teams. And one team might be just, well, we made this thing so we could put a bunch of paint on it and do a pump and dump. And you might have another team that basically has the same tech, but they, they use it differently. Maybe they didn't pre-mine and create a bunch of rewards for themselves or something like that so that they could get rich on it and pump it up and dump it and move on to the next whatever they're going to do. You know, if I see a crypto that's supposed to be so great and I look and their website's three years old and there ain't been anything new posted on it except maybe an update or two on, on the software for the wallet in three years, I'm not real interested because it's just a technology. It, it doesn't have anybody doing anything with it and evolving it and, and, and bringing it forward. That's why I talked about recently ARC, why I still like ARC, because of the team. It, it, it's, it's, it's basically built on LISC. It's not that much different than LISC other than the team behind it. So I want to know what does it do and who is the team behind it. And I want to know where is its place in the future. What will it do going forward if the team that's working on it that looks like they have their shit together 
gets done what they say they're going to get done, because that's always a that's always a gamble. But if they do, what will it enable? What will it create? What will it change in the future versus the current period and time? And so that's that's how I come at this. I don't make this real real complicated. I do look at things like, well, how how much of it is there? Because if there's like a gazillion billion of them, right, units, it, that's that's going to be hard for that thing to really go up in value. But well, what's the utility? Do I care? Am I only holding it so it'll be worth more tomorrow than it is today? In many instances, no. Many reasons, like right now with Pirate Chain, the reason I want Pirate Chain, it can stay where it is forever for all I care. I don't think it will. I do think it has upward momentum and potential, big time. So that's great, but if it if it went to 20 cents and stayed 20 cents forever, fine. I don't care. Why? It's invisible. You can't see it. You can't get it. I can usually I can actually use it to make other cryptocurrencies disappear. I'm not going to get into that today, but I can. I don't have to have any special skills, just a little bit of knowledge of what to do. And and the, something like that, when it's the only thing like that, that's privacy by default, the only thing else on the market that I'm aware of that's privacy by default, in fact, mandatory privacy, you can't even turn off the privacy, is Monero. And when I look at the two texts, Pirate Chain has better encryption. It has it's harder to ever crack. Monero is still a great. So I like both of them. But see, I, I'm more concerned about well, who's doing what with it, and what will it enable. That's how I think you need to be looking at your cryptocurrency decisions. What will this do for me? If if all I do is hold it and use it as money, what will it do for me? Can I earn money on my money with staking rewards? And does it make sense? Is there another? And when I look at that, well, is there another crypto that I can actually earn a better return on with less risk and less complications and less tying things up? Arc, right? Okay. Well, then if I'm going to have some currency to stake, I'm going to pick the one that lets me maintain complete control of my own currency and my own wallet with my own keys, while I retain the ability to earn staking rewards at a high rate of return. I'm not going to go risk my money or tie it up for two years to do something and not make anything better than I can make on my own. Doesn't that make sense? Because what what I saw in 17 and 18 is the boom came. Everybody got involved. Everybody had a new crypto. All they were doing is spinning code off of old code, making forks. And we're going to do this. We're going to have a new crypto for the entire electrical industry. It's a 18 gazillion bazillion dollar industry. You want in on this? No, I don't. And you're, you know why? Number one, the electric co companies of the world did not ask you to do this. They don't have a problem that you're solving. You didn't fix anything for them. You don't even have a good case you can make to them. And there's like eight other companies doing the same thing, saying they're doing the same thing. And everybody's just shrieking about the number that the market represents. It doesn't matter. Hey, you know what? You know, pet companies or the pet, pet industry is huge. It's like $50 billion. What if I make dog coin? I know there's already Dogecoin. What if I make Charlie Dog Coin, named after my dog, for the pet industry? It's a $50 billion industry. So what? Did they ask me for one? That's, that's the critical eye you have to come at. What does this do that's not already being done? And when I see a currency and they're like, well, it does this, this, and it's microtransactions, so it's Bitcoin Cash. How's it different than Bitcoin Cash? Well, uh, okay, done. Okay. Bitcoin Cash and a privacy coin together? Well, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. That's how you, and you have to be very skeptical. And the biggest thing on crypto, guys, I got to keep saying this over and over: let go 
right now of fear of missing out. FOMO will make you go broke. Oh, don't do it. Only put money in that you can afford to lose and understand what you're investing in before you invest in it. With that, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. Hey guys, Jack Spirico here. Welcome to Miyagi Mornings, episode 22. You know, last week I did an episode and I talked about the psychological and spiritual benefits of gardening. Today on a overcast cold day, we're out here at the Big Miyagi, because with the overcast, I can actually film out here without the sun blurring in my face. And uh, we're going to talk about gardening in a different way. We're going to talk about gardening and plant propagation from the standpoint of their, well, they're a lot like printing your own money. Just look at this little, and for those of you on the podcast, I know you can't see it, but you can imagine, this little, uh, it's, I think it's a seven-gallon tub behind me here. And it's, it's plumbed into my Miyagi, my big Miyagi pond, and it's running a basic aquaponics flood and drain on a timer. And it's full of this beautiful red lettuce, some uh, green onion, and some celery. Now, I know that your lettuce, green onion, and celery bill probably isn't a thing that you think about in your budget very much. But what I've found that people that are successful with money, it's not they do one big thing. They do lots of little things right for a very, very long time, and it accumulates in savings that are then invested that produce for them true wealth. And so this is just one example of that. The celery plant behind me, the way that plant got there is one day I went to the store, and I did what most of y'all do when it comes to celery. I bought some. I took the core of that plant, and I stuck it in another one of my aquaponics systems. It got great big giant, put a big old seed head on it, and all the seed just fell into that bed. And it made thousands of little celery plants all by itself. I literally did no work. And I've simply pulled out those small celery plants and planted them in other places wherever I thought celery would go grow well. I ain't had a lot of need to buy celery in a very, very long time. It's one little thing over and over and over again without any real effort. This lettuce that's back here, this stuff, you know, again, I think that people undervalue greens. But those of you that are on the video, you can see that's beautiful. It's fresh, it's delicious, it's crisp, it's grown in the cool air. I'm growing it this time of year because this is when you get the best results growing lettuce. And it's, it's taken me almost no effort. I took a, a small smattering of lettuce seed and just threw it in that bed. I didn't do anything else since then. It's taken care of itself. There's so many ways that we can automate processes or grow things that just do well. You can't see it, but behind you, my, my, my main garden beds are all coming up right now in a mixed cover crop of Winter pea, which is actually a great edible green, by the way, even though most people just use it as a cover crop. The peas that it produces are great livestock feed. I did a whole show on that yesterday. Barley coming up in there. That'll make straw for mulch in the spring, and all the barley heads will go to the ducks and the chickens, which make eggs for me to eat. And that's all coming from the garden. It's not a direct gardening crop. We also have daikon radish and purple top turnip coming up in there to improve the soil this year. Right over here, these giant funky-looking things that are well past their prime on growth are eggplants. This is a very exotic and expensive seeded eggplant. Um, I grew it this year, and it, it was it was wonderful as a food stock. But I kept a couple of these and let them get really big like this. Why? Because they're sitting there right now, naturally developing, so that I can take seed out of them. I'll never have to buy that seed again. I can sell that seed and make money. You know, as much as gardening is really like printing your own money. Plant propagation is kind of like printing your own money with a full-on printing press where you can just keep doing it. Uh, I said that years ago when I did a, a course on plant propagation or a talk on plant propagation at Permaculture Voices 2 in California. It would have been like 2015. 
maybe 2014, somewhere around that time. So a long time ago, I pointed that out. Because we can take something like a goji bush, and those little plants sell for about $10 a piece. And with one bush, I can make a 1,000 plants. Now, you do have to be able to sell them, but here's another example. I grow this beautiful plant called purple sweet potato. And this is a, an amazing plant. The, the, the greens are beautiful and edible. Livestock find them very palatable, so you can use them as a source of feed. They produce a tuber, and while I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates, they're pretty damn good. And so once in a while, we eat some. We can make as many as we want. Every year, all I have to do is save one tuber, throw it in my flood and drain on my plant starting system, and it makes a bunch of two, uh, 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 slips. I go plant them in my garden, and I take those slips, and I put them in the little air stack pipes behind me in this, this pond here, and they root in about three days. Better roots than you'll get from anybody else around here anyway. I mean, the, the air pump that, uh, effect that that has causes rooting like I've never seen before. So I went out on next door, which is kind of like Facebook for your neighborhood, and said, hey, I'm thinking about making these things next year. I'm going to sell them 10 for $20. Now, I can literally make 10 of them in about one minute, one minute of effort. And so that's $20 a minute in my labor. Would anybody be interested in them? And I put a little write-up about what the plant is and what the potato is and what it tastes like in a couple pictures. I had over a dozen people say, I'd buy that, absolutely. So I could easily sell 20 of those. 20 at $20 is $400. $400 doesn't change your life. But what did I say at the beginning of this? Little things done right over and over again, little amounts piled into that reserve of wealth and reinvested into productive systems that provide for you are how you build longevity, lifelong wealth. Wealth that you can hand down to your heirs. Wealth that is... Very non-brittle. Even when things go to shit in the world, your wealth stays strong. That's what we're talking And that's what gardening does for you. Gardening and plant propagation really are like printing your own money. Just go to the store. Go to the store, like a box store, in the spring. Or right now in the winter, some of y'all have places where they do you know, fall vegetable, winter garden vegetables, where they have broccoli and kale and stuff. Just walk through and look at what it costs. To buy all those plants instead of producing them for yourself. Now, I got no problem. When you're getting started and you need to buy plants, do it. Do it so you learn the skill of actually gardening. Learn one or two things at a time and you become better at it. But once you learn to produce your own plants, just look at the cost there. Think about this. I put some pretty great fertility inputs on my garden. They cost me about 200 to $250 a year in total cost. All in. For all my gardening, all my, all my fertility inputs that I buy that I don't produce myself, about two to 250 bucks. Hey, with just sweet potato slips, I can more than pay for that. That cost is gone. Tell me that's not printing your own money. And, and you know what kind of money it is? It's what we call here between me, you, and defense post money. That's not money on a 1099 or a W-2. That's money from my neighbor across the fence going, yeah, here's 20 bucks and here's 10 plants. You figure out about that all by yourself now, can't you? This is one of the few things that still remains that anybody anywhere can do, at least at some level, and begin to change their future and change the quality of the food that they eat because I, got, I cannot overstate the value of having the health that you have from eating food like this and what the cost of health care is in this country. And we're not even talking about health insurance because health insurance is not health care. Health care is when you feel sick and you need to get better or when you take something to stay well. Well, take your health care back into your own hands by eating food. You can't buy this food. I don't care if you go buy organic food down at the most yuppie foodie place you can find, Whole Foods or Central Market or whatever. You can't buy what we produce here. You can't even buy it from me. I can't scale and produce this quality 
like a farmer. I don't want to. I don't have the time. You know how you get food like this? You grow it for yourself. You grow it for yourself. Start small. Little things at a time over time. But remember, that's the secret to wealth anyway. You do the right thing the right way in little ways over and over again for a lifetime. And it changes what you, you know, what's in that retirement account when you get to that age where you're going to retire and stop working. It changes the value in that account by millions. And I'm not kidding. Millions of dollars when it's done right. That's probably another one we should talk about in the future. It comes back to always be frugal, never be cheap. With that, I will catch up to you tomorrow with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. Hey guys and gals, Jack Spierko here with Miyagi Mornings, episode 23. No, I'm not out at the Miyagi or anywhere in the gardens. I am in the office. It's cold out there again, but it's not why I'm down to time crunch again. I got an interview scheduled in less than an hour, and I've accomplished almost nothing this morning uh, toward getting things done for the show. So this is just a time crunch thing. So what we're going to talk about today, again, is cryptocurrency. Uh, and it will probably be our last cryptocurrency topic of the week. we got two this week, and I, I generally like to keep a lot of variety in these. But this is one that keeps coming back. And there's various ways this comes in. But basically, people want to know, you know, how can we keep our cryptocurrency private um, if the exchanges report to the government everything we do? Well, first of all, you're... You're asserting something that's just not true. The exchanges do not report everything we do to the government. Some exchanges report things that the government says that they have to do to the government. This would include uh, large exchanges like Coinbase uh, that do what's called KYC or Know Your Customer. And they do this based on certain criteria, a certain number of transactions, a certain size of combined transactions. There's certain criteria you have to meet that then they will issue what's called either a 1099K or a 1099 miscellaneous, depending on how it applies to you. And if they do that, then you certainly need to make sure that you're including anything that would create a tax obligation, trace back to that, in your taxes. That said, neither one of those actually obligate that. They notify that a thing occurred, but there's a lot of information not in there. Like, just because there was a certain volume of transactions, well, what was it? Were they received, or did you buy them? Do you see what I'm saying, right? So it depends. Like, if you're using Coinbase to receive crypto, and you receive a certain amount of crypto and a certain amount of transactions, they're going to report that as, as revenue on a 1099-K, and that's pretty clear to the IRS. A 1099 miscellaneous just means, hey, this person had a certain volume. So you you, you got to work that out for yourself. I don't give tax advice, and you talk about things like this with your attorney, What I'm talking about today is really simple, so I want to keep it that. Just how do I get my crypto into a mode where the government can't see it, touch it, or know what it is, and it's actually private? So if you're doing something on a public exchange with KYC, it will have some level of consequences, especially when, you know, like this year I have some stuff I absolutely have to report because I wanted to do something. It required cash. I took some crypto, converted it to cash, put it in my bank account, did that through Coinbase. Of course I'm going to report that. Of course I'm going to I'd be stupid not to, right? I've got to do my duty as a taxpayer. Huh? Yeah, okay. Anyway, but what if I just don't want my crypto on grid anymore? Well, I can use a privacy coin like a Monero or an R, and R, of course, private pirate chain, A-R-R-R, is the most private infinity crypto that we have. It is absolutely the case now that the government can, with some certainty, crack Monero transactions if they know where to start and end to a point, to have a percentage of probability. R, good luck. They ain't getting nothing. Now, 
So all you must do to take your money off-grid so that it's disappeared is convert it into a privacy coin. That's it. And R would be a great one to do that with. So imagine the scenario. You have some money on Coinbase in Bitcoin. You send that Bitcoin to another exchange that allows you to to exchange for R. And you you know you might want to use a no KYC exchange. But it doesn't really matter because this transaction from Coinbase over is public anyway. And the best thing, if, if you wanted the government to know anything, would be, yes, I sent it to myself. I sent it to myself. I just just wanted to move it. So you send it somewhere. Then you convert it to Pirate Chain, R. Then you send it to an off-exchange wallet, a non-custodial wallet that you control. It's gone. Yes, if they audited that exchange and sequestered your information and got your information, they could say, Bilbo Baggins transferred this much money to this Z address with Pirate Chain. Okay. So what? How's it any different than knowing I had the Bitcoin over here? Now, tax consequences. If when you moved that Bitcoin, between the time you acquired it and the time that you moved it and sold it, you had a capital gain, you're supposed to report that as a capital gain and pay taxes on it. Okay, fine. If you're smart and if it's significant, you will report it and pay taxes on it. It's still gone. In fact, now it's cleanly gone. I gave you your token, I gave you your tribute, and I moved it into another form of currency. Well, where is it now? None of your business. Can we see it? No. Can you prove that you have it? Can you prove that I don't? See? See how that works? Pretty simple, isn't it? It's gone. It's there, but it's invisible now. It's gone into what we always hoped cryptocurrency would, would be, a way to do private business. And I'll tell you why some of this is happening. It's not just so people can cheat on taxes. It's not just so people can sell illegal merchandise on the Internet or some shit like that. Mainly it's because the IRS has made it impossible to comply with everything the way that they want to comply with. And they've done it on purpose. By the letter of the law, you're supposed to, every time you spend cryptocurrency, calculate your gain or loss on it and report it. So if you only trade in large volumes and whatever, that's pretty easy to comply with. But if you're a person that like receives Bitcoin cash and spends Bitcoin cash, not only are you supposed to do that, but you're supposed to like, well, when was the last time, the, the first time in what's left of the Bitcoin cash in my total possession that I got it. So if, if, there's, if I've been saving Bitcoin Cash, some reserve of it for so long, that there's some from three years ago, I'm supposed to use that as the basis on this $4.75 purchase I just made with Bitcoin Cash. For a person that's actually using cryptocurrency on a daily basis, this is impossible to comply with. Now, they're not out looking for that person, really. They're trying to get the people that are stupid, that are doing hundreds of thousands of dollars in trading profits and, and not paying any tax on it and doing it through public exchanges where it's easy to find out who they are. That's who they're actually after right now anyway. But there is no way a person who's... Because they have this rule. It's called first in, first out. First in, first out, which means, to make it really simple, let's say that you bought some Bitcoin in 2015, one, and then you bought one Bitcoin in 2018, and then you bought one Bitcoin in 2020. You're sitting there with three Bitcoins in your account. And you decide to either trade or sell one Bitcoin. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to use the price you paid in 2015 for the first Bitcoin as your basis. This is not how stocks work. Stocks work with kind of like-kind exchanges and things like that, but the other thing a stock would be you would take the average of all three and get an aggregate, and you would declare that as your basis. 
Not with cryptocurrency. They've treated it differently than money. Because if it was money, as long as you were spending it or changing it to another form of money like Forex, there'd be no tax consequences. See, they've made it impossible to comply with. This is why privacy coins are going to take over, because they solve that problem. Because let's imagine now that you've got a person you want to do business with and they want Litecoin. Well, you move it into a into a uh, R. You move it to a you move your R to your own wallet back to a no KYC exchange. You convert it to Bitcoin and Litecoin and send it to your friend, and they get what they want. By the time it comes out the other side of that, it's no longer associated with you, and they can't see that you did it. Now, I'm not suggesting you do it. I'm just saying that's that's the kind of thing that privacy coins enable. If I lost audio there for a second, my mic flipped over. All right, so what's being worked on um, by the – I think it's the BPSAA or B, BSAA, BSAA, BPSAA, uh, a privacy consortium that R is part of, is the equivalent of atomic swaps for pirate chain where everything I just said happens automatically. You want Litecoin, I have R, I send you R, you get Litecoin. Your transaction is public as you want it to be, and mine is as private as I want it to be. And this is, this is again, this is a response to, number one, the invasiveness of people wanting to know your business. I mean, let me just say, I don't care if you report everything above board, if you believe that every penny that you earn, including tips, should be paid taxes on. You still have a right to your privacy and to control what you disclose and to whom, right? But when you are put into a position where I want to comply, but you've made it almost impossible, the market is going to market, and a solution will be found. And this is why the future is privacy coins. And the future is... To me, like I said, the most advanced privacy coin on the market today is R. There will be better ones. There will be improvements to the existing ones. It will get. This is an arms race that, for the first time in history, where the state is disadvantaged. And I didn't get into any complex things. There are ways, of course, that if you go after an individual and you can figure out what accounts they're using and email accounts and phone numbers, you can trace back and get some idea of what's going on here. But with what I just gave you, with what I just gave you, you still have the ability to say, I took my own money, I converted it to another form of money, if there was a gain on it, I paid you the taxes, I moved it into this other form of money, and now I have it, it's none of your business. And they can't prove anything, including I lost my keys and my wallet corrupted. So is that a capital loss? Oh, one more thing, the bonus before I go. Some of you, like me, did make some bad buys throughout your history as an investor in cryptocurrency. I have. And some of you are still holding them. I am. For instance, I paid way too much for Litecoin. I've done the math on it. I can take about a $2,500 capital loss this year by publicly selling Litecoin and moving it into R. There's n and I'm not giving you tax advice, but I'm telling you what I just said is following the letter of the law according to the IRS. If I sell or convert Litecoin at this point, I am required to report that on my taxes this year and declare a capital gain or capital loss as it applies. Since all the Litecoin I, was, I, I bought was in Coinbase... And all the records are there. If they went back and found it, they would find that my basis matches my claim exactly. And I'm entitled to that capital loss. 
that offset some of the capital gain I got when I sold other cryptocurrency to buy a car with this year. So I get to take a capital loss, I get to move into something with more upside potential, and I make my money invisible, and if I really wanted Litecoin again, on the back end of it, if I really wanted to, and I don't, I'm not recommending a buy on Litecoin right now, I could buy it back, and you would not be able to see anything, because I could do that through a non-KYC exchange or a swap site. See? See? This is the emerging new technology that we have that they can't control. Like I said, for the first time, we're in a technology race. The state can't win because we have thousands and thousands of gifted people developing these technologies in a decentralized manner. And it's, it's just something that is going to continue to evolve, and the market is already 10 steps past where they're at at the state level. And they have some sophisticated shit. Don't think they don't. But that's it. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about defraud, defrauding anybody. I'm not talking about avoiding anything. All I'm talking about is taking your wealth from public to totally private so that what you do with it at that point is your business and your business alone, which if you don't think that's an inherent human right, there's something broken in your brain. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another episode of Miyagi Mornings. Hey, guys and gals, welcome to Miyagi Mornings, episode 24. I'm going to have to stop doing that soon because how many times can I do that? I don't know. Anyway, so today we are back outside, and I'm going to unplug. I forgot to do this. I'm going to unplug the Miyagi, so all we got for background noise is ducks and chickens crowing. All right, so what we're going to talk about today comes from... The episode that we did earlier this week on gardening and the ROI, the economic ROI on gardening and plant propagation and being like printing money. I made a statement toward the end of that video that got more interest in emails to me than anything else I said in it, and it's one of my laws of life. Always be frugal, never be cheap. So I thought we would talk about that today, and friends and neighbors, this is one to share with your friends and neighbors who may not be ready for an hour and a half of me on a podcast just yet, because this one can literally change lives for the better over the long term. So whenever I talk about this, I always try to explain it from the standpoint of something that's really easy to get your head around in a, as a starting point. So my number one thing I use to describe this with is a garden hose. Garden hoses are the epitome right, of where paying less is always a bad idea. So you can pay a lot of money for a garden hose that ain't that great, that's spent. That's overspending, or, you know, brand identity spending or something like that, that's not good either. What we're always looking for in a purchasing decision is what we call value-to-price ratio. So if you go out and you buy a 50-foot garden hose that says something like Never Kink, which, by the way, that brand should be called Ever Kink, because all it ever does is kink, for like $19.99 down at Tractor Supply, you will have a miserable experience. You'll have a hose that maybe will last you two years at best while you're miserable. It will always kink, and because it always kinks with weather extremes and all, it will eventually crack and fail and, and fall apart. If you go out and you buy um, one of the hoses that I recommend that I'll put a link for in the video notes at T-Spaz uh, off of Amazon, you will pay about two times as much money for it. And it will actually not kink on you if you, well, if you set it up right. When you set up a garden hose, I can't get into that. There's actually a right way to initially set up your garden hose, believe it or not. Uh, but if you do that and uh, then you, you know, take proper care of it, it'll last six, seven, eight years or more. And if it does fail, it'll be something like an end piece that you can cut off and replace for a few bucks with, with a new uh, hose end. And if you do that, 
then you have kind of a very long-term investment. Now, I don't know if there's ever going to be a garden hose that's going to last 50 years, all right? So, you know, rubber is rubber in the end, right? But you see the difference there. So if we, if we get 10 years out of a hose for $50, then we're looking at what? Two bucks a year? Uh, $2.50 a year, right? Where if we get one year out of a hose for $20, we're looking at $20 a year. That, again, like when I talked about gardening, that didn't really make sense to a lot of people that, you know, we're going to talk about lettuce and celery. Like my lettuce and celery bill is not what I'm really worried about in my life. My electric bill is. But like I said before, winning with money is about making little correct decisions over and over and over and over and over again over time. And the people who are cheap never do this. The people who buy the cheapest options not only end up paying more for the item long term by having to replace it, maintain it, and be miserable and losing time while they're using it, depending on what it is, they also then tend to, because they think cheaply, they spend their money poorly in all walks of life, and they overspend on tons of things that they don't need. People that are always running this computation in their head, hey, look, I'm going to spend more than five bucks. I might as well get the best I can for the money on my return of investment. That becomes something that goes into the mental computer as programming. And this is what I really need you to get today. It's so far beyond always be frugal, never be cheap. The human mind is a computer. It is the most powerful computer known to man infinity. Because it can do things, even if a computer is faster with a problem it's programmed to solve, determining how to solve the problem, no computer yet can do what we can do in our brains at the speed that we can do it with. We are that powerful. And we have a true self-learning computer in our brain. When I talk about artificial intelligence, what they're trying to do is teach a computer to learn as it goes. You can do that. But like all computers, garbage in, garbage out. How you set your programming determines everything in your life, whether you succeed or fail with it. And whether you even believe that you, su you succeeded when you failed. Because if you have no money... You can't afford to lose your job for two weeks, but you have a country club membership. You are not the success that you think you are. I'm sorry, you're not, right? So this is, this is one of the few absolutes in the world. There's usually many answers to a thing. That's why one of my favorite things to say when somebody says, well, well, how do I or what should I? And it always it depends. But when it comes to your mental computer, you only have two options. Either the mental computer is conditioned to see a problem is something worthy of solving, or the mental computer is, is conditioned to see a problem as something that must be complied with and accepted. There's no other option. There's no other option. And once you really set your computer that way, you're either the person that when you're told to do something, you just obey and say, what can you do? Or you're the person that immediately says to yourself, how can I not do this if I don't want to? You might even say, well, because this is something I want to do anyway, I'm going to go do it. But you're going to actually ask that question before you just willingly comply with whatever bullshit comes down the pike next. You see how that works? And this transcends into your financial decisions. It absolutely does. It's actually not that hard. It's so easy to win with money. And those of you that are new to me, I do not have a how to get rich course. I don't do that shit. I don't have $99 and I'll tell you how to turn $99 into a million dollars and then have a thing on the other side of the course that says, do what I did and get a bunch of people to buy your shit, right? That's not me. I don't have any way for you to do this other than basically what I'm giving you today. You must evaluate whenever you're spending money, and it's more than a few dollars, and we can get to the few dollars decisions later on, because that's a lot of times, th that shit adds up to, to blowing a shitload of money on something you have nothing to show for. 
But when it comes down to it, when you're like, I need to buy a fill-in-the-blank, and you actually do need it, or you really want it, or in some way will improve your life, or enable your business to make more money or something like that, you need to always run at least a back-of-the-napkin financial analysis. And if it's something that's going to take like a week's pay or more, that shit needs to go in a spreadsheet. And let me tell you something about spreadsheets. This is my famous saying, Excel never lies. If you put the right, just like your computer, you got to put the right information in. But if you put the right information in a spreadsheet, what comes out at the bottom, the tabulations, are always accurate. And then they make decisions very easy to make. When we decided to lease versus buy a car, I didn't do it because somebody on the radio said rich people lease cars. I looked at the individual car we were leasing, what the return value was, etc., and I looked at the longevity of a loan against it versus a lease against it, and the spreadsheet said, in this instance, thou shalt lease because thou shalt not be stupid with thy money. Got it? Now, if I put a different model car in there from a different manufacturer under different terms, that calculus will change. The answer isn't buy or lease. The answer is what is the situation at the present time and what does that lead us to do with our money so that we are not stupid? Because in the famous words of economist Peter Schiff, Money goes where it's treated well. Now, when Peter said that, he was talking about the policies that countries have with things like taxation and, and import taxes and things like that and, and duties and customs and all that other stuff and regulation on business, and he was right. However, that does not keep that from trickling down to you as an individual. If you treat money like shit, money will leave your pockets, period. The end of story. And I say this all the time. Some of you hate money. And the only way I can come to that conclusion is I look at what you do with your money, and I say, clearly you hate money. Or I look at what you do with your business to avoid getting money into your business and say, clearly you hate money. You might not believe you hate money. You might think I'm wrong. But when money, when money knows you hate it, money leaves you. It goes away. When you treat money well and you understand the mechanics of money, you will always be able to create abundance in your life, even with a relatively low income. Trust me, my life is an example of that. It really is. I do well as a podcaster and a media personality, but I did better as a business owner in the corporate world. It just made me miserable. But my lifestyle's only gotten better since I left that behind over 10 years ago. And do you know why? Because I practice what I preach, guys. Treat money well, and you'll have it. Money is basically a mathematical formula. Or you can think of it as thermoeconomics. There are rules. If you break the rules, you lose. And if you follow the rules, you win. It's one of the places where you actually should follow the rules. Not society's rules. Math's rules. With that, hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will have another one for you. Wrap of the week tomorrow. Well, hello, guys, and welcome to the final episode of Miyagi Mornings this year. So episode 25, um, pretty cool that we've knocked off 25 episodes so quickly after my 2020 workshop. And as we head into the uh, the holiday season here, I guess we were in the holiday season, I consider, like when people get upset over the holidays, I'm like, just go find something else to be angry about, right? Christmas is part of the holidays, right? It's To me, it's Thanksgiving all the way through to the end of the year is like the holiday season. But Christmas to me is kind of the, 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 the holiday that I just personally get the most joy from. And I have a very long history of kind of the week of Christmas somewhere in there. I shut down and I don't come back till after New Year's. Well, this year Christmas lands on a Friday, 
That makes for a long week next week for me if I were to work up to the 24th. I'm not going to. I don't even know right now what I am going to do next week as far as content. But I know it won't be Miyagi Mornings. There might be a video or two that comes out next week, like a walkthrough video out in the backyard or something, but it won't have a bunch of links in it, and it won't be part of a, a Saturday morning podcast or anything like that. I really don't know what I'm going to leave behind uh, on the podcast or on YouTube for you guys during the shutdown, but it's probably not going to be a lot. I, I'm worn out, and I'm ready for a reboot, and I think that's a good thing for everybody to do during this time period. I won't be gone, but I won't be here at the same time, right? But I did want to talk about like some of the things to uh, to think about as you go into this period of time, and hopefully you do get the opportunity to take some time off and, and be with your family. And my first one is... I don't care what anybody says from any level of government official down to any level of COVID, Karen. If you can spend time with your family this year, do so. Like, separating us is one of the shittiest things that's ever been done to our society, and I'm going to tell you that there are many of us who have just refused to participate in that bullshit from the beginning, and we're not going to start anytime soon. I don't care what Dr. Frodzy says. We're not going to have a massive surge in COVID because you commune with your family for freaking Christmas. He gave you that doom and gloom bullshit warning about Thanksgiving. Everybody ignored it, and there was no perceived or, or uh, d definitive uh, massive rise in the already third wave of the virus doing what it's going to do. Virus going virus, folks. And you're talking about something that for 99.7% or 99.97% of people is mostly a flu. And for many people, it's far less than a flu, as they're strafing me for having the audacity to speak truth again out there with the Jets, I guess. Anyway, um, so there's just that. Be with your family. Number two, do something productive with this time if you get to take it off like I do. I realize that as I've poured so much work into my YouTube channel, my Odyssey channel, my podcast, and everything else like that, there's a lot of stuff that I always say I'm going to do in the winter that should have been done by now that didn't get done out there on the homestead. So some of that stuff's going to get done during this time. I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to be with my wife. Hopefully I'm going to see my, my kids and grandkids quite a bit. Oh, by the way, my, my, my kid and my uh, daughter-in-law uh, are recovering from COVID right now. They're driving around in their car at night looking at Christmas lights and not exposing themselves to other people uh, when they're doing that. But uh, they're doing just fine because that's what happens for most people. So my people are like, well, what are you going to do? With yeah, I'm going to... Go on with my life, man. Like, somebody you love. Yep, yep. Uh, my in-laws on the other side of that uh, equation of the marriage, uh, they both had COVID. And uh, my daughter-in-law's uh, mother ended up in the hospital for a week on oxygen. And she probably would have been there if, uh, if it had been the flu with the exact same symptoms. Like, the hospitals, uh, their rates are high right now because they're admitting people that don't really need to be admitted because they get guaranteed money for COVID patients. You don't have to believe that. It's, it's just the case. I mean, really, above all, go on with your life. But also do something productive. Um, I've got so many things I want to get done. I don't even actually have a huge organized plan. But my, but my overriding plan is, well, each day do something or work on something. And once you start working on something, work on only that one thing until that one thing is done. So I have like a cover that needs to go on my greenhouse. That's need to happen for a while. I have the material. I need to do it. I have a shop that needs to be completely redesigned. 
that might go at the highest priority because once it's redesigned, doing all the other work gets easier, especially in the winter when working inside with heat is a nice thing. Uh, I've got some stuff that needs to be done in my aviary with planting some cover crops. Uh, I got it done in the big garden but not in the aviary. Probably need to do that maybe today because that's not a big job. It won't take long. But I've got a bunch of stuff. I'm also going to curl up on the couch with seed catalogs and look at you know what I'm going to be growing next year. Um, we're, we're just going to enjoy this downtime, but at the same time, we're going to be looking ahead. And 2021, guys, I, I don't think, I think the people that are like, you know, man, 2021 is just going to be a great year. Everything's going to be behind us. It's not. We're going to have to deal with all this shit for quite a bit longer. And it's up to you how much of it you participate in and how much you, you refuse to participate in. Including, I'm still on the strategic relocation. Some of you guys, I really think you need to evaluate where you're living. And if you can move, get out. Um, get your kids out of the government schools. You know, this is a good time to strategize on how to do that. There are ways to do it. Um, you know, reach out to grandparents. If you have grandparents in the mix that are willing to do it, we're doing it for our grandkids and it's totally worth it. Um, the change I want, I was actually thinking today's show would be lessons from homeschooling our grandkids. Uh, we'll probably do that next year when we come back. The first week we're back, we'll probably have that episode. But, man, it's, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. And to be fair, my wife does the real work of it, but I get to witness it. And I, I've seen changes in my grandson that are uh, unbelievable. I, I've got a 10-year-old thinking like an entrepreneur instead of a conformist. On that, man, look at this time and, and, and sit back. And if you don't have a business or a side hustle, really question. Put that question in that mental computer you call a brain. Because it is a mental computer. How do I start a business? How do I create a side hustle? How can I create value? Remember, every time you ask that brain of yours a question, you kick in the most powerful self-learning algorithm known in the universe, as, as far as we know. There's probably better ones, but as far as we know, it is the best there is. So use it. Use your God-given brains, in, 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 in the words of my late father-in-law. Use your God-given brain. You have this incredible tool, and if you challenge it, it will give you answers. If you fill your brain with all types of negative viewpoints of, of the world, it will reinforce that for you. It will, it will calculate how you can be miserable. It will calculate how you can not have a business. It will calculate how you have to stay in a job you hate for the rest of your life. It will calculate why you can't move. If you give it those challenges, that's what it's going to do. It's going to give you the answers to the questions you ask. And many of you, the reason you can't get out of where you are and you're so freaking miserable is because you're asking the wrong questions or you're giving the wrong command lines to your brain. You're challenging your brain to keep you miserable. You're challenging your brain to give you excuses. You're challenging your brain to do everything except give you the answers you really need. And your brain's good at its job. So it's giving you shitty answers because you're giving it shitty code. It doesn't have to be that way. Take this time. Reboot. If you got some vacation days stayed up and you weren't going to take them, but you can still do it, do it. Shut down. Disconnect from this shitty world, and you'll realize that most of what you believe you have to do, you don't. Let the end of this year, in some ways, be kind of like a, I don't know, a, a, a being born again or a baptism or something like that. Whether you believe in uh, faith or religion or spirituality or not, that doesn't matter. We can all have that experience of basically having some level of mental rebirth in what's possible and what can be. Because 2021, in spite of what I said, 
we're going to be dealing with this shit, it can be a great year. But you don't get a great year in 2021 because the virus goes away. You don't get a great year in 20, even if it did. Even if it did, how many people that are like, man, I can't wait till this is over, my life sucks now. How many of those people, their life sucked before any of it happened? How many of those people were genuinely happy before this happened and now they're genuinely miserable? I found most people that were genuine, genuinely happy in 2019 remain genuinely happy in 2020 because whatever happened to them, no matter how shitty it was, they adapted and they overcame it. And so can you. And this is the thing that I'm going to leave you with at the end of 2020, and you won't see me on this, this segment again until 2021. Only you can do it. Only you can change the calculus. Only you can put the new commands in your brain. Only you can choose to not let others write commands into your mental computer. Only you can make 2021 a great year. And you can if you want to. With that, I'll be back with another episode of Miyagi Mornings next year. It's not that far away. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Miyagi Morning Recap. Remember, I do Miyagi Mornings to create short and shareable content for your friends and family who may not be up to listening to an entire podcast. Each of these segments from today's show is only five to eight minutes long and can be shared as both YouTube or Odyssey videos. Links to the video files for each segment are in today's show notes. If you want to submit a question for Miyagi Mornings, just email jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with Miyagi Mornings in the subject line. All subjects other than politics are welcome for this special series.